Well, when that hymn was, uh, was chosen, I, I didn't actually even think about this when I saw this, but uh, um, a long time ago, uh, when I was first into the ministry, I was in a, a situation where I had a senior pastor and I was the associate, and the senior pastor, we were going to sing this hymn, and uh, he gets up and he says, we're going to sing hymn number, Take My Wife and Let Me Be. <laughs> which is kind of a little bit of a dink in terms of what our, our epistle lesson is today as I preach through Ephesians. Because, you know, the, the relationship between husband and wife is something that has always been... Uh, how do you handle that? And uh, uh, it, it's interesting to me that when you read the book of Ephesians, today, this is absolutely the most controversial part of this letter. And at Paul's time, they've been like, huh, interesting. Because the most controversial part of this letter when Paul wrote it was Jews and Gentiles can both be saved. You know, that's why the whole first part of, you have, you have like, you know, what, 10 verses here or something that everybody gets twisted about today. The first five chapters of the, this book would have rocked people's minds. And so I want to dig into this with you a little bit today. And I want to take a look at it because, I, I, you know, I've actually been thinking about this sermon for over a month. Because I know, I know the, the, these verses, they're, 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 well, they're complicated. There's a lot that's going on here. Frankly, there is so much to unpack in these passages, in this little section, because of our culture, that at the, the reality is that at the end of this sermon, there, there are too many questions to answer. And, and there are too many whatabouts. And so if we get to the end of this and you think, but he didn't address X, Y, or Z, I am disappointed, annoyed, and frustrated. Me too. It's complicated. It's complicated linguistically. Don't fall asleep on me on this. It's complicated linguistically because this word that we have chosen for a long time to translate the Greek here, it's an awful word. Submit. So first of all, wives submit to your husbands. Is that wives submit to your husbands as a descriptive? Just kind of a you know, regular, everyday present-day verb? Or is this an imperative, a command, saying, wives, submit to your husbands? That's not clear. And what makes it a little bit more complicated is that in the Greek, <clears throat> that word is best not translated as submit, but be subordinate. And I think there's a pretty big and important difference between submit and be subordinate, to take the lower place. You see, often submission is connected to this idea of force and power. You know, when I was wrestling with my brothers, I'm the oldest, I won. <laughs> I weighed more than them. And it's pretty much what, if it happened now, they'd kill me. Um, but, you know, you, you hold them down, you get them in, you know, their arms all jacked up, and you, do you submit? Cry uncle. But when you say be subordinate, that's a choice, isn't it? That's something that you can choose freely and freely accept. 
And being subordinate is pretty closely related to humility. And I think Jesus says some things about humility, doesn't he? He says it to all people. But does that mean it doesn't apply to wives? Just because we don't like it in this context? I I, I don't think so. I I, I think there's a call here to be subordinate, to to take the lower place intentionally, to choose that, that role of service. This is complicated too textually. And if you're still awake, thank you. I need to push with me a little bit more here. Because the word submit or be subordinate isn't actually in verse 22. Did you catch what I just said there? It actually flows from verse 21, and it does get picked up in verse 23 again. And so the idea, it it carries through. But the way that we've translated this by putting the word in there, it really looks like we're putting this command on wives. But it's not there. So what's, what's, what's going on here? Well, as I said, this flows from the previous verse, verses, where it says, you know, don't get drunk on wine because that's debauchery. Here's the command. Be filled with the Spirit. That, that's the command that's flowing into these passages about husbands and wives. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, what does it look like when we're filled with the Spirit? We talked about this last week. Well, we speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we're filled with the Spirit, we are giving thanks. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we are submitting. We are being subordinate. Same word, better translated, being subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that looks like, that looks like the end of a sentence, one final thought all put together. But in Greek, it's not. In the original language, it would go something like this. Just grab verse 21 where it says, Be submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. It's not a, boy, I better think about, hmm, how should women, you know, relate to their husbands? It's, no, it's just talking about relationships. And this, this whole section has to be understood within the big picture of how we relate to one another in the church. Where Jews and Gentiles can both be saved and be equal. Because that's a pretty amazing thought. And so what he's doing is he's moving from this big picture of how Christ has impacted our lives and and, and he has taken us from being darkness and into light and all of this stuff... And he starts talking about your relationships with one another. He's moving from the big to the little, from the, 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 the general to the specific. And what does that look like in, in, in specific relationships? It, it, it's very complicated. It's complicated because of sin. Because the reality is this passage has been misused for centuries. You know that. It's been misused in ways that have put women down and and tried to keep them in a lower place uh, by force. There's, you know, a lot of risk 
when you think about it, in being subordinate. There's a lot of risk on the men's side of it, too, when it says, you know, to love your, your, your wife as Christ. Because how did Jesus love the church? He died for her, right? He, it's a call to sacrifice. There's a lot of risk in being subordinate or sacrificing yourself for someone else. There's a lot of risk in, in making someone more important than you in, in a sinful world. Because how are they going to respond? What will they do with it? And in a broken world like the world we live in, there is such a thing as abuse. And yeah, that does happen on a continuum. And some of it is severe. But none of it, none of it is part of God's will for our lives. And when you think about you know, where sin plays a role in, in marriage, my goodness. Husbands, have you ever let down your wife? Don't raise your hands. Wives, have you ever hurt your husband? See, sin brings this breakdown of trust that makes it so that, so that you know, boy, to be subordinate to somebody, to sacrifice myself for somebody, I'm not sure I can trust them. It sounds unsafe. It sounds unjust. And in our culture, a lot of times it sounds impractical. This is complicated culturally, too. See, our ears hear this very differently than the Ephesians' ears would have heard this. We hear this and we... I've, I've heard people say this. Why is Paul such a misogynist? Why does he hate women? Uh, I think that really kind of fails to really understand the context of marriage in the ancient world. And yeah, I mean, there, there, was, there was some variety within how men and women related to each other in different cultures. But the reality is, in most of the ancient world, uh, wives were little better than slaves. They were there for their husband's pleasure. It was men who had rights. And so when you look at how Paul addresses this, it's actually very countercultural to the culture that he was in. Especially when he says, love your wife. That, that, that's a pretty powerful message. Love your wife, men. You know, and this gets wrapped up in a, a whole conversation of patriarchy and power dynamics. But it's because we're looking at this from a political view. And in government and in politics, power is what counts. But this letter is not written to the political powers that be. Who is it written to? The church. It is written to the people who live within the kingdom of God. And that's key as we try to understand this. Remember that through this letter, Paul has said to us, you were dead in trespasses and sins, now you are alive in Christ. That's a pretty big change, isn't it? He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called in Christ. Well, what's that calling? It's the calling to live in his grace and in his love and in his salvation. That's a pretty big change from where we were before. He says, walk in love. He says, once you were darkness, now you are light. Walk as children of the light. 
there's this whole paradigm shift. And the way that we handle power in the kingdom of God is different. It's not about dominion. It's not about submission. It's about living in God's love and forgiveness. And so what Paul is doing at this point in the letter is he's taking all the stuff that he talked about before and he's applying it to three key relationships. We only read about one of them. If you want to be offended more, continue to read because some of the things it says about slavery uh, would very much go against the way that we think about things in our culture. He picked these three key relationships, not just out of the blue, but because the philosophers talked about these things. The Talmud talks about these relationships. Aristotle wrote about the relationship between husband and wife, father and children, master and slave. And the key word in the he is he talks about is obedience. How very different from the way that Paul approaches this. Paul addresses the same three with very different conclusions, bringing everything back to love. That love is at the heart of the relationship between husband and wife. And so as, as we keep going here, I, I, I think it's good to kind of back up into verses 19 through 21 as, and ask a, a really kind of an important question as we, we think about this. And the question is this, why does the church, why do we become subordinate to Jesus? Assuming that we believe that we should be subordinate to Jesus. Why? Well, I think on one hand we could say, well, he's God. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. This is what I call the Monty Python uh, direction, where Monty Python has the skit where the priest gets up. He goes, oh, God, you are so big. Do not smite us in thy wrath. And does God smite sinners? Yeah. Yeah. But is that why we, as Christians, become subordinate to Jesus? Is that how we know God as the one who smites and the one who punishes? No. We know him through his son, who took the punishment on our behalf, who loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the the heart of our relationship with him. And so love becomes why we become subordinate to Christ. Because look at what he's done for us. Look at the salvation that he's given to us. How now shall I live in regard to what he has done? And look at what he himself did. Jesus became subordinate to the Father. They were co-equal. They still are co-equal. We confess that in the creeds week after week. But he chooses the lower position. And what does that lead him to? It leads him to suffering. It leads him to death. In order to redeem us from our sins. And note this well. What Jesus asks wife and husband to do. 
to be subordinate, to sacrifice yourself. It's exactly what he himself does. In other words, this is a calling to Christ-likeness, to being like Jesus. Jesus does the Father's will. He sets aside his glory. He sets aside his prerogatives. He washes the disciples' feet. He takes the form of a servant. He also sacrifices himself on the cross. He suffered temptation from Satan. He died. Why? Love. Because he loved you. Because he loved the Father. Love for Jesus is what this passage is really rooted in. Desiring to be Christ-like. And that flows into the love of wife and husband and husband and wife. And it's central to understanding this, this whole complicated passage. So what's Paul saying? What's God saying through Paul? Wives, be subordinate to your husbands and respect him. Husbands, give yourself for your wives and love her. In other words, serve each other. Trust each other. Give yourselves to one another. Because this is how Jesus served you. Because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. In in actual fact, in the relationship between husband and wife. And Paul says that this is a a profound mystery. And when I read that, I kind of go, which mystery? The mystery of the two become one flesh. Chris and I celebrated our 23rd anniversary this year. You know, and that feels kind of cool because I talk with a lot of my friends who are like close to my same age. And Chris and I got married young. And a lot of them, they're talking, you know, 15, 16 years and stuff like that. And it's like, wow, we've been together a long time. I can't believe you haven't choked me yet. <laughs> but this, this, this blending of life is this beautiful, beautiful gift that God gives us. And I hope that you see in your marriages how God takes two people and they become one in some pretty incredible ways. But I don't think that's the mystery that he's talking about. I think he's talking about the mystery that Jesus, God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, became subordinate to his father's will and that he gave himself, he sacrificed himself for us. And what does it look like when we live in that forgiveness? It looks like a lot like humility and giving ourselves to one another. Not because we're trying to you know, make God happy with us or, you know, so he won't punish us, but because he himself loves us. Amen.